0: Welcome to Capturing COVID, a podcast that takes experiences and turns them into memories. I'm sure everyone can think of ways that COVID has impacted you, whether it's working from home for the first time or treating positive COVID-19 patients on the front lines as a medical professional or making critical decisions for children returning to school. Or even perhaps you just wanna listen to us because you wanna think and hear the stories of those of us who might've been making these crazy critical decisions. So we actually created this podcast because one, I really wanted to, um, to document the stories and the history of COVID-19 from various perspectives. I really don't wanna forget what has happened. We are passionate about giving our audience a resource to listen, relate, and reminisce on a time in history that the world will never forget, the COVID-19 pandemic. So tune in for this approximately 60-minute episode with various special guests and inspiring stories with me, Jason Newland, a pediatric infectious disease physician at Washington University, and the Chinook Family Endowed Chair of Pediatric Infectious Diseases at St. Louis Children's Hospital. So now I'm super excited uh, to introduce a good friend, a good friend because of COVID. Sorry, Katie. Again, my good friend, Katie Smith. So Katie, you're a native St. Louisan, right? I am, born and raised. Okay, he's a born and raised St. Louis that went to high school at?
1: Oh, a small school called Gateway Academy that's now closed. So I'm a bad
0: St. Louis because my school's not here anymore. That's what I know. But Gateway Academy, we can still that. So we went to Gateway Academy and then goes to Southeast Missouri State down at Cape Girardeau. Right. Is a bachelor's of athletic training. Did you play a sport? I did not. I was taking care of all the athletes. No time for that. So it's good taking care of the athletes then. And then comes back to St. Louis and she and I do have something in common. You know this, right, Katie? We both have master's of education. She got her master's of education from Lindenwood University. Is that where you met your husband, Brian? That is. I've gotten to know Brian through, okay, Brian is a head associate women's lacrosse coach? That's correct. Yep, at Lindenwood. Won a national championship D2 before going to D1. Okay, so um, so Katie is absolutely awesome because she also, you're going to have to, she, I'm going to give you the title, then you're going to have to explain what that means. She is the Sports Medicine Clinical Operations Manager at SSM, which is one of the healthcare systems in St. Louis, and Director of Operations for Sports Care USA. Welcome, Katie. Thank you for
1: having me. I'm excited to be here.
0: So tell us about your job.
1: Yes, I wear a couple of hats. So for SSM specifically, so I'm contracted via a company called Sports Care USA. Uh, to provide sports medicine services uh for SSM here in St. Louis. So I oversee all the operations for the sports medicine service line, but also all of our community outreach as well. So specifically as it relates to COVID, I was handling all of our high school athletic trainers um, and all of our college partnerships and sort of everything that was external to that. Um and then for my company, Sports for USA, I'm the director of operations. So I can manage all operations for all of our healthcare partners across the United States. So I, I kind of have my hand in a lot of buckets in that my day-to-day more is here in St. Louis, but I get a lot of, to work with a lot of great colleagues across the U.S. that get to do sort of similar things with other health systems, uh, which kind of gives me a unique role.
0: Yeah, and I guess what I remember, like there's a lot of athletic trainers in all the high schools, and Katie was like telling them, this is what you need to be doing, right? Like if you needed to know what to be doing, K is the person you go to. Is that fair?
1: You know, I have a lot of good colleagues, so we work together. I have been here for long enough. So luckily, if you just all talk to each other, eventually we're sending the same message. But that was sort of the forefront of how sort of our group got started was, hey, we don't know what the heck we're doing. So if we're going to come up with something, I hope we all say the same thing because we don't, we don't know what we're doing at this point. So I like collaboration. I like to have a lot of colleagues in the community and so I feel like that was kind of the start of just okay let's at least get on the same path which you know uh, luckily I'm not a big ego person so usually people are like okay well you don't, know, you seem harmless so let's do it you know so I, I think that's probably how things got
0: started and that that makes sense and it and it's still to this day and actually <laughs> if I have an injury or maybe if someone has an injury, I'm like, "Hey Katie, what exercises do I need to do?" And she's helped me a ton. So thank you for that. Yeah, absolutely. All right, so let's let's now move into what we're here to talk about, which is COVID nineteen and the pandemic. We're we're approaching three years when all of this started. So before we get into how we got to know each other through the the pandemic and the and the sports stuff, tell me what the start of the pandemic was like for you, for you as a person you as at your job and you and your family because uh, i know you had young you know young children at the at that time and, and so tell us about that
1: yeah i mean it was kind of crazy i mean it's sort of twofold i have very distinct memories like professionally of covid hitting we were taking care of the st louis battlehawks at the time um and that was that was up and
0: running the battlehawks people remember the battlehawks right that was the indoor football league and man, in st louis it became a huge Yeah. Deal because we lost the Rams. So, yeah, I mean, that's crazy. Yeah.
1: So it was, it was crazy because the week that the XFL shut down, uh, the Battle House were set to sell out 45,000 seats in the Dome that, that next week. Uh, Literally, this was on like a Tuesday. They were playing on Saturday. I mean, it was, it was crazy. And we had been hearing rumors of, you know, this whole COVID thing. What does that mean? And it was kind of an interesting situation because the previous week we had played Seattle. Um And obviously that is where some of these first COVID cases were. And so it became very apparent that we had just played the Seattle team. This is now a very active issue. We're now in St. Louis. They were just here. We had had a couple instances, actually, of people at one of our hospitals, not because they were sick, but they had other injuries. And but again, they were just in Seattle. So there was a little bit of like, OK, well, how is this applying to us? And so we started to have some very initial conversations. And there was someone on the other team that we had played that had come down with some type of viral illness. There was obviously no tests available, but it became the, uh what do we do? Several hours later, I got a phone call saying the XFL League is shutting down. You guys need to come here. You need to do exit physicals for these guys. We're sending them home. This is it. And we're going, what? <laughs> like, we ran this big successful thing. What are we supposed to tell these guys? Looking back you know, my primary care sportsman, Dr. Melanini, and I still joke that we're like, some of them had COVID 100% because there was lots of illness going around. We just didn't know in all reality. And we were just walking around without masks and just this is crazy. What, what we do? is have never done this before and sending them home. And then I found out the next day, my husband's a college coach. They were at away game during the away game. The NCAA announced we're shutting down spring sport. This is it. They were set to win a national championship that year. It was during the little game I found out for heated because they were actively playing a game literally when the NSA shut down. So like, that's a lot of my initial memories of just what this is crazy. And then I think, you know, my mom had of uh, I had an eight month old and a two year old at the time. So like, what the heck do we do with them as well? You know, luckily they weren't in school yet. So it made it a little easier, but just okay, sort of panicking, but like, I've never heard of this happening. So I don't even know where we go from here. This, these things don't shut down like casually. So I feel like it's this panic of like, let's hurry up and try to figure this out. But then it's the, okay, we're going to shut down for a while. And then what, you know, I think is really where we at. And then it's okay, we're all going to work from home. But I work with employees who are healthcare workers, but sort of non essential because they have jobs that are, not in traditional hospital rules. So what happens with them? But also we have to work from home and we have two small children. So, you know, they don't really care that you have to work. So how does that, you know, work? You know, sort of that sort of rolling from there. But the, the XFL thing really was very much the catalyst of like, this is the moment where I'm like, this is like bad. <laughs> that was like a big deal because I've never heard of that happening
0: yeah I mean I think for both you and Brian right I mean obviously XSL that was a major thing and such a big deal in St. Louis and then it was around March 12th when really the NCA made all of these determinations and a lot of it spun out of the Utah center that became positive and they stopped the Utah Jazz versus Oklahoma City Thunder game because Rudy Gobert tested positive that was the start of everything shutting down so that's Crazy. And I can't imagine what you guys were feeling at that time.
1: Yeah, it's just a weird, a weird thing. You know, we've both been in sports like a pretty long amount of time, and like stuff doesn't really get, canceled. So you're just kind of sitting there like, what does that mean? And what's going to happen after that? Like, you know, it's just one of the few times where everybody's like, no idea. I don't know.
0: When did you start thinking we needed, we as in, I'm going to say the proverbial we, because at this time you and I don't know each other. When did you start thinking we needed to come up with some type of guidance to help athletics get back to happening?
1: So I, you know, I think what my initial COVID response was like, talk to my employees employees? How do I save jobs? And, you know, sort of that immediate response, I think, was what I was initially very focused on of, again, having essential but non-essential workers. How are we furloughing people? How do we look at our employees with a not really answer ultimately, which is probably the first time I've ever been in the leadership role of being like, I'm telling you what I know, but like, I genuinely have no idea what's going to happen. And the people above me have no idea what's going to happen. I think that was a unique piece. I think that was definitely my initial focus. But I think once we started to sort of get into the kids aren't going back to school that spring semester, and you know, that's kind of it, I think we internally started to have this conversation of like, what happens after that? And I think what we did really see in St. Louis was the St. Louis Pandemic Task Force was, I mean, a total force to be reckoned with. And I I mean, you saw sort of this like amazing collaboration of people that realistically don't work together very often on many things.
0: Real quick, just to say this to people, St. Louis, the major health systems, BJC Healthcare, which is who I I work with, WashU, which works with them mercy, which should the mercy system which spans Arkansas Oklahoma and SSM and SSM is affiliated with St Louis University Cardinal Glennon. These three major healthcare systems said, we got to all do this together and formed it. And I agree with you exactly what you said. It was a force. And actually, to me, it's one of the major positives to show how unified St. Louis came to address this, which is incredible. I will always say they got that right. 100%.
1: And they did it really quick. I mean, it wasn't reactionary. You know what I mean? Obviously, you know, you had to react to what was happening. But I mean, it was like quickly that everyone got together and sort of there's this unified conversation and the information was really, you know, just consistent coming out. And I think we saw that. And I think if everybody looked at it. It was definitely sort of just a gold standard of that's the information. That's what you read. That's the data that everybody's using. And so I think that was really the spark of like, OK, we need that. But as we started to go back, people started to, I think, come to us because we had, you know, we had medical professionals in the schools. I know all of us that, that provide that service were getting asked, so what do we do? And we're like... I don't know, what do we do? You know, and so I believe wholeheartedly that I don't want to give an answer if, if that's not what everybody else is doing. I have no idea. You know, more brains are better than than just mine. So I think the whole concept was just modeled after that because there's a fearless pandemic task force really proved like it doesn't matter who you work for. This is an all hands on deck. We, we don't know. So we either got to figure this out together or we're, we're not going to figure it out ultimately and then sort of roll with those punches. And so I, I think it was like a casual idea of like, let me call my colleagues up that I know to see hey, you may think I'm crazy, but like, can we try to work on something because I'm getting asked? Or I know you guys are getting asked.
0: By the way, she didn't call me up first.
1: You know, as it, as it turns out, ironically, in sports med, the infectious disease people and the sports med people typically have limited interaction, as it turns out. <laughs> Thankfully, right? I mean, who wants to deal with us? No, no, I'm kidding. No, I mean, like, we, we don't have those interactions. So, I mean, it was like me and my primary care sports med doc, Camille Nimi just being like, I don't know, let's just like call some people we know up. And so I knew Jason Muckow and Brian Mahal at Mercy, just well, you know, again, through sort of the sports medicine circuit. And I knew Mark Halstead at BJC well. And so I reached out kind of like, hey, we have this idea, like, are you interested? And luckily for us, everyone was really interested in collaborating. Everyone had a really nice response. And Mark Halstead and Jeff Neppel at BJC were the ones that were like, you know, we should bring Jason Newlin in. This, This is really up his alley. He's infectious disease. Let's bring him in because that's kind of what we need to round out this team of like, this is great that we have great sports medicine professionals, but we need, you know, the infectious Disease angle to this during COVID. And that's kind of how you got got brought into the mix.
0: And I love sports so much. And at this point in time, I have a senior in high school, a sophomore in high school, and an eighth grader. And they're all sports people, right? I mean, we're all getting ready for we're getting ready for girls' high school soccer season that gets shut down. And and so like I'm like, oh yeah. And the my other piece of remembering right before you called me or we we got involved is I had a friend from Kansas City where I was before. He's like, Jason, what are you guys doing about sports, getting back to sports? I was like, this is early May. And I'm like, oh, gosh, I hadn't even thought about that. Right. Like, I just always felt like I was behind. And then you guys had already started. So I I think it was really fun that this is like, oh, this is a dream for me as an ID person, get to work with sports. But it was also kind of scary because I I don't think we knew, but I knew we knew that kids needed to be able to get back to doing things because they had been stopped for about. You know at this point it was going on two months so tell me your first iteration with you you kind of led us so katie led us in kind of putting together some ideas to a guidance and tell me how you came about this and why you decided this was our our route of doing that
1: yeah so i i think we did try to go off of what stainless pandemic task force had kind of released i mean you know at at one point, the White House had sort of uh, released the reopening of America I think what it was called, if I remember correctly, there was some basic sort of strategies of, you know, obviously, we're in the sort of pause phase of the, like, what, what next? So there was some sort of basic guidance that they had sort of shared. And then there was the pandemic task force had kind of come up with other things that well, how are we going to reopen, right, but nothing was specific to sports. And not a lot of it was specific to kids. Because what you have to remember is that it was summer. And so so kids' recommendations weren't really much of a thing because they weren't in school. And so our, where we came to play was, was kind of unique because that whole spring semester, nobody had school. So everyone was at home learning. The summer was like, well, these kids are going to go back and, and do stuff it was a little challenging also because most of the summer is like kind of unregulated. You know, high school sports are are fairly regulated, but not in the summertime. Club sports are not really regulated. Camps aren't really regulated. And so we kind of said like, we're going to have to put something out because everybody's going to go zero to a hundred. We have no idea what's going to happen. This is like the first getting kids together. We don't know how it's going to work with sports. Are they going to be more susceptible, you know, because they're breathing all over each other and each other's spaces? You know, you can't really separate them for a lot of these activities. Like, what does that even mean? And so we kind of just use that as a basic structure. And and the first was just the phases, because that's how the original Reopening America set was, was here's phase one, here's phase two, phase three. And eventually we got to here are high-risk sports, here are low-risk sports, as far as transmission is eventually where we got, because we realized that obviously the risk was lower and then try to kind of increase from a so these kids don't get hurt standpoint also because they've literally sat for four or five months and done nothing, which, you know, we don't have a lot of research because kids don't do that. So how does that work? And then the obvious, you know, we assumed they were all going to get COVID and what were we going to do? You know, we had no idea that it wasn't going to heavily spread in the younger demographic, and that sports weren't going to be a major catalyst for that. You know, we didn't know that at the time, and sports was kind of like the first time all these kids were going to get together before they went back to school. So it was kind of like, okay, well, all eyes are on you guys. This didn't say something. What that something was. You know, luckily everybody works really closely together to just kind of find a starting point and then sort of work
0: off of it. I remember thinking when I remember you sending me the document, and I was like, "Wow, you know, you you had done." so much right and had really thought this out to make sure that we were going to have the, the kids were going to be safe and that this would be done in a thoughtful way so that we would learn as we go as we phased in and so for example for people listening and we will attach the the return to guidance and uh, you'll see that like phase one is Everyone stays six feet apart. You're not allowed to be near each other, but you can kick the ball. Like if you're in soccer, you can kick the ball. The other thing I thought you mentioned, this was this high frequency contact, low frequency contact. And then we added a middle. We added a moderate in the middle of that because we're like, uh, it's not as black and white. And correct me wrong wasn't that initially based off of concussion
1: yeah so some of it is like the NCAA sort of has the basic rest of injury rest and ironically like they sort of do work with like how close contact they were so we were sort of able to make that sort of transition and make sense and luckily for the most part when we were going into the summer fall most of it was outside so that was helpful but there was still some activities that they were still trying to do indoors so we were trying to say well, what do we do about some of that stuff what do we do about you know the locker room use, you know, all these types of things where then suddenly they're sort of back together that, you know, logically that there was different risks associated with some of these activities. And and then, you know, some of these sports like football where they have all this equipment and, you know, at this point, we literally didn't know how long COVID was living on surfaces. Like, literally, we're just like learning as we go. So we're like, okay, well, they're going to cough all over this equipment and then they're going to go put it in the locker room and then it's going to be in the locker room. I mean, that's literally like the basic thought process at the beginning because, you know, we're thinking it's like, okay, when you have staff, like this could live forever. Like we have no idea how long it's going to live. And like through this, we're finding out, okay, well, it's going to be there for this long. So we make an adjustment, you know. It, it was a massive just learning process the entire time.
0: Well, it, it was interesting, right? Because we did early on focus on a lot of this physical contact and being close to each other more so than the surrounding environment. So for indoor versus outdoor. And I think it became clear to us that as sports started getting going in June a little and then July and people were doing more. And you're like, you're not learning of people actually getting it while they're playing the game. You're, you're hearing about, oh no, the parents and everybody in the-
1: Yeah, it was, it was the stands it was the stands that the pa- the parents were getting. It was these massive basketball tournaments that they were doing, AU tournaments in the summertime where there was 2,000 people sitting in the stands that when these kids were getting it, they were getting it from their parents because their parents got it at these events and then they lived at home with their parents and then eventually they would get it. But they weren't getting it playing basketball.
0: <laughs> and things changed no doubt. I think, you know, obviously this is, we're talking June, July of 2020. And even as you mentioned earlier, Katie, right, these little ones, you know, the toddlers weren't seeming to get it. Now they could get it to you and now that all changed obviously when omicron came and it didn't seem like everybody was going to get it a year ago but then everyone should remember this is this is june july of 20. so the health department we made it a point that we needed to talk with the health department to make sure they were on board because they were the you know they needed to be the leaders but frankly they were overwhelmed it's important for our audience to know and, and to remember that we had to have the public health department because the public health department had the final say and set the rules for this public health emergency. So while our task force could make recommendations, in the end, it's the health department. Again, the health department that establishes what we had to follow within their jurisdiction. So for those in St. Louis County, that's the St. Louis County Health Department. For those in St. Charles County, it's the St. Charles County Health Department. So this formation and what we needed, we had to work together in order to provide what was going to be what was going to happen in our communities any thoughts around kind of that in the initial how we got the health department talking with the health department to do this?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think we learned from the St. Louis Pandemic Task Force that that's part of the reason they were successful is that one of the unique parts that we didn't mention about them is not only did they get the three health systems together, but in St. Louis, they got the three sort of metropolitan areas together. So St. Charles County, St. Louis County, and St. Louis City are three separate health departments here, and they all function quite differently from one another. And initially, the response was significantly different from those two. Three areas from the health department. And there's just a size variance also between them. And so one of the things that the St. Louis Pandemic Task Force did really well was they engaged all three of them and really kind of helped get a lot of those people on the same page as far as a lot of those initial recommendations, you know, opening up businesses, like those types of things. So I think we learned from them that that was really key. So initially, St. Louis County really engaged us because that Ultimately was where the primary amount of sports were being played. Um, and ultimately that's where that is. It is. It's where most of the private schools were. And so those were likely most of the people who were, were getting on them. Those are where some of the bigger districts are. And so they were the ones initially, you know, engaging us, which we were happy about because we, we wanted to be able to be on the same page. There weren't any recommendations around sports to start. And again, how could you not? They were just drowning in mess, you know, of trying to figure it out. Yeah, I mean, they're contact tracing with like three people in the health department. Like, that's like not, you know, this is not feasible. I don't care who you are. They were trying to stay above water. So I think it was like, well, there aren't recommendations. And very quickly, once we started to kind of provide recommendations, the media really kind of jumped on that because people like to talk about sports. That's the reality, no offense of COVID, is that COVID was not fun to talk about. It's not fun news. And so it wasn't a cool thing to report. but. Bringing back sports was something fun for the media to report. And so they, people were listening. So I think the health department would say, okay, well, let's get on board and start, you know, driving the conversation the same way.
0: There was no doubt that the health department was trying, you know, like, the- yeah, they started with three people doing contact tracing and then they were building their, they were building up as much people and they were bringing in people left and right and doing everything they could. So, you know, we were obviously trying to help in that and doing it in the right way, which I think what we can talk about now. So just to orient people, right? We, we start COVID first cases in St. Louis were early March, but the really surge in St. Louis occurred end of March through into April. And then in May, it seemed to start leveling and coming down. And so that's the kind of, we got together, we start putting out a guidance and we 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 had basically a guidance I got approved to say and kind of this phased approach and I think we said we'll have to go back and look do you remember the the date we said people could start doing things again
1: yeah I left I looked it out so the, the first document we released was on May 5th it was the first press release document and the the date on there was was June 15th was the magical day that we were going to open up phase one pending these numbers because we were kind of trending down once we sort of hit May so we were hoping okay let's give like three more weeks and we'll be able to to open up so that was really the beginning and mind you this was like there were no documents on like re-enter, re-entering sports like you you can google it like before that there was nothing out there so it was very much like well it's a shot in the dark and like turns up that like a lot of these first documents like other people started using but we got contacted from like all these other places being like can we use this i'm like sure why not <laughs> go for
0: it june 15th so, and people should know, phase one was like, go outside, stand six feet apart. and Don't do anything together. Ten people, like groups of ten and no more, but you're three six feet apart. It's like funny to look back. Frankly made up stuff. Because we didn't know. People heard on, if you listen to the first podcast, that, that's an overarching thing, right? We just didn't know. We were still wiping down groceries for some people at this time, right? We just didn't know. So, June 15th comes, we start first of july comes and we start seeing an increase in cases i remember vividly being like oh no cases are going up and we always said based off if we saw cases were going up we would pause or potentially go back meaning that means stop or we would at least stay on phase one and we were like oh What do you remember
1: yeah very similar to that because we had the phases and we had projected dates in those phases which was probably an error on our end of having projections because let's be honest we had no freaking idea (laughs) so we were just like guessing or like hoping like oh a month probably it'll be better or it won't. I don't know. You know, we haven't done this before, as it turns out. And so we had projections that we were going to get to this phase two in mid-July, and people were very down our throats. Is this going to happen? Because that was going to affect, you know, what we could do in the fall, because it literally done nothing all summer long, realistically. For fall high
0: school, like football, soccer, swimming. I'm sorry, these are the sports I play and my kids play. So, you know, it was a big deal. That was You're right. That was a ton of pressure because we were feeling the high school pressure.
1: Well, and, you know, then the colleges started to sit and say, you know, it was weird because the NCAA didn't really say anything the whole summer because it was summer. It was unregulated time. So the colleges kind of got, you know, a bit paused and that they didn't really need guidance during that time. But I think there was a lot of okay, well, is this what you guys are doing? We were being contacted by college. And was like, what are we going to be allowed to do? How should we prepare for the fall? And we're like, I mean, this is like our best guess. Somehow we've been doing it the longest, but we've been doing it for one month. You know what I mean? And like best guess type of a thing. And so I just remember that we met thinking like, okay, we got it to launch. Like, okay. And then it was like, oh no. Like you presented the numbers to the group. That was, Jason would come on every every meeting. We, we met on Tuesday mornings. And that's, that's what we did at 7 a.m.
0: I blocked that from my memory. Yes,
1: yeah. every Tuesday it was like you know crazy. That's what we did. We met for like two hours every Tuesday because that's how long it took, and we would have Jason kick off the meeting with where are we at and really explain the data to us to try to respond to. And it was like, oh, but the data's not that great. Well, and we
0: should say. The Jason you're talking about really was Jason Muckow.
1: Jason Muckow did did do a lot of presenting.
0: Yeah, yeah. we both did, but he did a lot because he, I thought that was great because the Mercy system really helped us get that data and started to tease it out by age group, which will tell you why we had to get to that.
1: Because that was the, that was the thing is the other data that the St. Louis pandemic task force was much more broad data was more hospitalization driven. So that was probably the biggest difference of what we were looking at. And what the general population saw was hospitalizations and not granular data. And that is definitely what Mercy did was break it down, try to give us as much specifics as possible, because this is still the time where like it wasn't easy to get tested still. I mean, even in the summertime, like you had to go to very specific places, you had to meet very specific criteria. I remember making flyers of the criteria that you had to meet to go get tested at, you know, one of three testing sites in St. Louis type of a thing. There was no testing at pediatrician's office or primary care offices. That was not a thing. You had to go to a testing site and they were all hospital testing sites for the most part, unless you were with the health department. You know, it was also also delayed, if you can remember that, you know, we were talking about a week delay and data that we were getting. So we're trying to make projections and decisions, but it's a week old data. What changed in the last week? Like there was just a lot of moving parts. And we were probably one of the few that were really looking at that age range also of data at this point in time, because they weren't addressing school reopening yet. It was really about hospitalizations. It was really our, how our hospitals going to stay open was the hospital conversation. And our conversation was, how do we like get the world back? Going.
0: How can we keep doing this, but, uh, but be respectful of the hospitalizations? And I will say that the school conversation was just kicking off in July. July, we see increased cases. And the narrative seemed to be from my point of view that they started to say it was because the kids were playing sports. And so kind of mid-July, Katie and I get, we we kind of agree that we're going to have to slow down on the sports thing because there's increased cases, we got to be respectful of what we said. But we weren't so or I definitely I know weren't excited about the framing of the kids and Kate, what was your thinking in middle July when kind of it came out that it's the kids, the kids and going back to and doing stuff is the reason for kind of the surge. At least that's what it felt like.
1: Yeah, I think it was it was hard because I think we saw these numbers go up. But I think what's hard to look back and remember is that they were going up. But as compared to like zero. In the spring, kids didn't have COVID. Like it was very rare and they these kids had, you know, had immune system issues or things like that that left them predisposed to COVID. The the COVID numbers for kids in that spring were almost non existent. They they were adults that were sick. And so when we saw this like increase you have to remember the increase is relative, relative to like no one having COVID and then some people having COVID, right? They were nowhere near what the adult numbers were was the reality. But I think we felt it's hard. We felt very responsible of like, we let them go back and do stuff and we, we made that recommendation. I shouldn't say let, but we, we recommended that. And I think we all took that pretty seriously. And I think we were sitting there going, Oh shoot, did we totally, did we totally screw up? But the interesting part was when we went around the room, many of us very intimately connected to a lot of these organizations and a lot of these schools that were participating. And I remember distinctly having the conversation of, well, does anyone have any of those patients that during athletics got COVID? And everyone sat and said, no. And we kind of sat and said, well, this is not everyone that's involved in athletics. This is a good chunk altogether. But in the three health systems, we provide healthcare for the majority of the athletics. And none of us were intimately involved with any of those COVID cases, you know, as it related to sports. And so we kind of sat and said, okay, so the kid numbers are going up. But like, we're not all sitting here having these conversations. Like all of us know that, you know, at this organization, they had, you know, four cases in this organization. You know, all these kids got it here. It wasn't that. So I think we were a little bit like, Okay, so what is
0: it? (laughs) Yeah, and I I think that was hard, is that our experiences and the data we had, which was at the time, it was anecdote, that's the best you had, was also different from what the public health department was telling us, as well as our county executive was saying, um, Dr. Sam Page. And this is where actually Katie and I got asked to come down and stand next to Dr. Page as the county executive, so those of you not from the St. Louis region, St. Louis County, Maine, or the leader of the politics of the county is the county executive. One way of thinking of it is the, he's the mayor of the county in some respects. We have tons of municipalities that have mayors, but he he he's higher. In St. Louis City, it is the mayor. So he was our main political figure, and he was kind of saying, you know, we need to back off on sports, which we didn't necessarily disagree we didn't disagree with that part of it we just disagreed with the fact it kept saying that it was the kids and we thought it was more it's not the kids playing the sports it's actually the stuff around us so we need to be careful there so we get asked to come down and i was like eh, i don't i'm not going <laughs> i don't feel i don't feel like i could go katie your your thoughts when we got asked to go stand next to dr page at a press conference
1: yeah no it was, it was a pretty quick uh hard path i don't know that i want to go down this path because i think the challenge was too is that we were having these conversations, but you know, in this time in the pandemic, there was, you know, these daily press briefings, you know, about what was going on. And I think we had known up until this point that there was always some type of narrative, realistically. And I think what people have to remember, too, is at this time, Dr. Sam Page was up for re-election this fall. So that summer, things sort of started to heat up as far as people taking a lot of sides, you know, the beginning of the pandemic was very like healthcare workers are everything, you know, your heroes, everybody shut down, hunker down. And by the summer, it was that, okay, we need to reopen and things aren't back to normal. We need to blame someone for that. I think that was like an across the board. That was a national feeling, but he was up for reelection. So I think it sort of created, I don't know, the perfect combination of, you know, crazy waters. And, and we kind of thought like, well, you're not giving us the ability to like state what we think, but you want us to sort of stand next to you. Like, I think we felt strongly we are healthcare professionals and you're going to be up there talking they're not the same thing. I don't I don't wanna be lumped into the, the, the bucket, you know, per se.
0: It was different and it was hard. It felt weird at the time. I don't know what I would do now if we had the same opportunity, because there's part of me, and we'll tell what happened next, is that I just, in the end, I wish I would've done the whole thing differently, but we, we can get to that piece. It, it was just weird, right? I mean, in the end, it was just, it felt weird, right?
1: Yeah, and it was the first beginning of like the sort of political connection with like our group. And I think the health department sort of in general, it was the first time I think it felt more political than it needed to be. Is that was sort of that first instance because the rest of the communication we had had was directly with the health department. You know, he wasn't a part of that, and then things started to kind of snowball of like of what was said and how it was said, and and so I, I felt like I don't know, I don't know, I'm not comfortable doing that, like it was just a crazy crazy thing and mind you like the you know the week prior he had had like some random coach from an athletic organization like standing next to him being like yeah this guy agrees too and we were like well that seems like maybe we shouldn't
0: stand there so basically we get asked to come down we decide not to go i happen to be sitting in my office after the press conference and i don't know what i was thinking but a reporter from the st louis post dispatch calls me and says well you know Dr. Page said that kids are still the main reason for the surge. Now, that's what I heard. I'm not... All fairness of the reporter, she might not have said that. um, But that's what I heard. And that's when Jason wishes he would have maybe said goodbye and not said what he says next. I really was so frustrated at that point. I was so mad. And people that know me sometimes I just I can't help myself and I said some things and and one is I I really did I was poor and and mean frankly to the health department and shouldn't have been I was I felt very the this data that kept being said and we hadn't seen and it wasn't fair to the health department they were they were working so hard and they were taking it from all sides I I should have never brought the health department into the conversation I said they weren't sharing data and that should never have been said so I'm sorry so I am so sorry I was so wrong and I think that the other thing that was going on was that bars were open restaurants were open and we were saying kids and they weren't letting them play and even some even playgrounds were closed right so i was so so mad and it lands on the front page of the post dispatch this article no games allowed and my goodness my my name is all over this and of course right in my pure jason newland fashion my my last quote that we reminisced when we got it was, if we think we can have all the bars open and think we're going to school, that's just not possible. Kids are second, pocketbooks are first. Yikes.
1: When Jason Newland became famous right there. I don't know, famous, maybe <laughs> notorious.
0: And now I'm like, oh my goodness. Anyway, what do you think at this point?
1: I, I think it was tough because I think on one hand, that's not an incorrect statement. You know what I mean? Um, that's kind of the rollout. I think I don't think that was ever like the massive intention from anyone. I don't think the reality of the summer was we're not focused on school right now. Businesses need to get the open. And that was ultimately nationally what was happening. And that's what the focus was. But I think what we started to see in healthcare was the actual impact that these kids doing nothing was creating. I mean, by the middle of the summer, we started to see this, the massive uproar of mental health crisis of these kids just like not doing well. They were in virtual school for most of the spring semester. They can't do activities in the summer. They don't have anything to do. I think we in healthcare, that's what we started to see. And I think outwardly, if you weren't in that world, it was businesses need to get open so that the world can continue, which I don't disagree with, but not, there was not another focus. And I think our whole point of our group was that we're the group that's trying to focus on everybody else getting their version of back to normal like the kids do matter and like let's work to get that and and then realizing that that sort of started to transcend into what schools were going to do because the reality is schools didn't have a playbook either
0: yeah and we will just so the listeners know we will have uh, a colleague that we worked with and getting schools back so yeah it was unknown and we were trying and I, I think that Katie you, you, you said it well we were trying to get some normalcy back for kids. It really and it, and especially I don't know about you, but I maybe this is what drove me I remember those high school days and high school sports and high school football and you know, you, you name it, right. And those were some of the best times and you were like they just lost their spring and now we're gonna they're gonna lose their fall and this gets us to really I think the next big story right Katie was fall sports were rolling in the and we were seeing cases and cases were kind of up but they were stable. And, and there was a lot of concern that they would get even more as we were trying to figure this out in sports was like, man, how can we even have sports, but it felt like we could because we just had some of our own anecdotal data. And so we get to September and obviously we have this article and it really, I think that I feel so bad about that because I think that led to that schism between us and the health department, we lost trust, obviously all my fault. That trust was key. Losing trust was key. And we get to September. And I don't, I don't know if you want to kind of go through your version of what September with the COVID athletic task force and Dr. Page. So I think
1: a couple of things happened also in between that time of the article came out. So there was a lot of, a lot
0: of heat. The article being the one I mentioned, no games allowed.
1: So that was, that was not, you know, it was not great, but also it, it, it just sort of heightened things and and made it feel like there was a misalignment of goals, right? So I think we as a group sort of not pivoted, but we were really at that point focused on trying to come up with a return to play protocol for kids that had COVID because we were seeing kids that did have COVID. So our second priority, because there was no recommendations on that, is if they had COVID, how do we safely return them? Because there was no evidence to support if that was safe, if there was an increased risk of, you know, cardiac concerns, so on and so forth. And so we brought on a, a great cardiology colleague as well to help us with that because we were a little bit sort of in the dark on that. And we, we did help write that return to play protocol that the state ended up using. And, and certainly it went to many other national organizations. So we were really focused on that for a period of time because I think we felt frustrated. We didn't feel like, well, nobody's really listening to it. So this is an area where We feel like we can be impactful because kids are they're going to get it realistically so let's focus on that so i think we were like focused on that for like a little while
0: yeah that's a great point because i think one of the keys right katie was the fear of of heart problems and i remember we brought on billy orr that's a colleague here at st louis children's washu and i I remember vividly i'm like well are we now where he's like dude if you have someone drop dead because of covid you're we're all going to be wishing we did something different and we knew there was some heart stuff so I agree. I, I I'm glad you brought that up. You got that was a great thing that you you led to make sure we were addressing that the right way.
1: We, again we, we we didn't know and it was it was totally it was the fear of like, okay, so not only are we gonna say that they can go back, but then they're gonna get it and what's gonna happen after that, you know, like we didn't we didn't want to be putting kids at risk in that standpoint. So I think we were really focused on that for a, a period of time. But then in the fall, as sports started to come out, we also were getting asked a lot of questions. I mean, we became the, every school has questions. They were coming to us and not really the health department is honestly what happened is we were very available. Uh, We were working really closely with these schools. So we kind of became the, not authority, but like, hey, this is the recommendation. And so a little bit surely though, we we didn't agree with some of the recommendations uh, that were coming out. We wanted to progress them faster because we felt like the data supported for them to continue sooner.
0: And so just to, just so people know, so basically the thought was we felt that our task force felt we could progress through our phases faster. Health department felt we should really slow down and potentially at one point it even felt like maybe not even have any fall sport. If you're in a low contact or high, it didn't matter. And to their credit, they realized and they listened in that part. They thought, you know, no, that's probably too much. And to their credit, they're like, yeah, let's do something. But their timing was much slower. And we were trying to get more because we knew the season could be lost.
1: Yeah, we got to a point of like, are they going to be able to play games? Because so this is kind of all a wash. Is sort of the part of the fall that we got to. And very quickly after that, we found out that all of our names were getting released uh, to everyone that basically went to the health department and said, why are you guys saying this why aren't you letting kids play and very quickly
0: someone at the health department yeah and you know the interesting thing katie's in reading through this it might have not even been something yeah helped. who knows because it, it, it came through some facebook thing so it could have been who knows basically said well these are the people that are saying not to have sports and we're like whoa none of us said that, but I I didn't get to feel this. Katie, tell, tell them what happened to like you and Mark Halstead, Dr. Halstead, who's a sports medicine doc. What happened to you guys?
1: Yeah. I mean, we, so we had patients like calling clinics saying, we don't want to be seen here. If you guys aren't, aren't, you know, pro playing sport, we don't want to be associated with you. Like there was a big hashtag called let them play, which everyone saw. And that became like a big movement here, um, led by, Someone named Dan Buck, who, who owned a power plus, who's also opening an athletic facility to bad timing. So he tried to open a very large athletic facility here in North County, um, which was an old mall, but literally during COVID, he, he purchased it. Obviously he didn't know what pandemic was happening. So he had a major push because his business was, was literally not a thing. So he basically rallied this group of people. And that was a lot of the sort of hype and sort of hate that was coming in our direction of like, also we had been transparent about who, what we had said and who had said it entire time. But there was this just narrative of like, well, if you're not happy with the restrictions, that's who to blame. And we all kind of sat here and we're like, what? We've been advocating for sports this entire time. Like we could have been totally shut down because there wouldn't have been any recommendations to go off of. And now literally our names are being released and people were talking about us on forums, like craziness over like a week span of time. And we kind of were like, I I don't know what you want us to do, but... (laughs) this is not the way (laughs) this is this is a well-intentioned event of you know what we're trying to do to help people and now we're just like the hated people how how did that narrative change so quickly
0: and really what happened next is that they they picketed people started picking it outside Dr. Page's so the county executive's house and because of this kind of schism that occurred between our task force really really our task force and even the overall big pandemic task force and the health department it got out of control to the point and i i understand right i, I think both katie and i got pulled into a conversation that says you guys have to stop i i was i was brought in and told i had to stop doing this this sort of work, and and frankly, at the time, I was doing a lot of media, and I was told I needed to be off the media for a couple of weeks.
1: Yeah, yeah, we definitely definitely got told we needed to the the quiet it quiet it down. I I think it was the first time that I saw the realities of of just how politics influence everything. You know, I, I think everyone knows that politics. Influence most things in general, but it certainly influenced COVID. I don't think that that's a secret. I think that's like well known that that's a reality. But I think that was the first time I very clearly saw that. And I think I had to realize also that like health systems get government money. They have to be aligned in all of these other facets and how thin the line is that you have to be on. I, I felt like of working collaboratively, which I understand. But also trying to do the right thing and have really good intentions and really have to be the people in the day-to-day doing this. You know, everybody in these big positions, not that they weren't doing anything, but those of us that were on the ground really dealing with these problems were the ones trying to pick up the pieces of what's left and certainly not just myself I have a giant staff there were lots of other phenomenal people who were just living this and trying to find the next step and feeling like like they were handcuffed too and I think we were just the goal was to be the voice for those people to ensure that like there was a chance at getting back because there was a real chance that we would have done nothing
0: and there was a lot of people around the country that kids had no sports at all and and I think for us it felt like we could do it and we were seeing it safe and I I I think you're you're, you're, you're right on, right? I mean, it, the politics of it, for me, it was the first time, th- this whole scenario from July on was the first time that I was like, oh, this is politics. This is what politics is. And not that we need politics. I'm not, I guess I would say. I, I don't. It's not a negative. It's not a negative thing. But I, I know we, and I'd say you and I specifically got caught up in that kind of cycle of politics that we were targeted of two people to say well you guys are the ones and it's fair. I mean, I don't lose my mind and learn how to keep my mouth shut in July. Likely it's a different story. And I and I, I, think that's why I feel, and I don't know how different, but I, I do feel very bad about that. And that was the learning. The other learning I had was when you go kind of small with people, like just you and I kind of not, and even our task force which was small, instead of big, meaning lots of people in the same stead, like when the group of pediatricians joined together writing letters, it was hard to target one. And so I think that was the other thing and i think lastly i'll say is that i wouldn't have admitted this three years ago or two and a half years ago but i think we had to kind of disband unfortunately
1: yeah i think eventually the norms came back and, and I, I think eventually things did change. But, you know, I think it, it, it is just the unique perspective of, of healthcare and then what else is going on. And that's so much of the weirdness of COVID is that there was such this push pull in, in all facets. And we're just sort of a piece of that.
0: Yeah, And I, I'll say that it was interesting that one of the things that led to people to pick it outside a politician's house was youth sports. And Tony Messenger, who's a Pulitzer winning, Journalist at the St. Louis Post-Dispatch, publishing a, a op. He he does he's an opinion writer, and he had a quote in there from me. By the way, I never ta- I've never spoken to him, but he had it. He had basically an email. He had a couple lines from an email from me, but he was basically talking about. I reread it because I was like, wow, I forgot about this. But it basically was talking about the business of U sports, and it was clear. The business of youth sports and this youth sports in general, as crazy as we are about it, it it's crazy. And that came through as well in this is that we all miss that, um, but it's also a big business. That was wild. <laughs> that was, and, and reflecting that, thinking about that is like, yeah, that's why people got so upset.
1: There's the business of youth sports and there's also the stark delineation between organized and regulated activities and that of club and traditional youth sports that are starkly different. Is the reality. And so I think we operate in a very world of a regulated activity. Honestly, like that's how our things were written. And I think the difference between us and the health department is they're not working in regulated environments and that like that. You know what I mean? Being the health department. Yeah, they're the regulation group, but only to a certain degree. And so their purview is very different than ours. We felt like you set these, you know, regulations, you've set these rules. And, you know, even to high school sports, it's, it's it's pretty checkbox. But the rest of club and youth sports is not, is the reality. It, it's a free for all. And it's cutthroat in who's making money. It became a situation of who's just saying, screw it, I'm doing it anyways. And, and we're going to play because they want to play. And I mean, there was literally these. Clubs competing against each other of, I'm willing to break the rules and I'm going to get all the players and people are going to pay me for it because those other clubs won't participate because they're following these rules. I mean, those were like real things that, that were definitely happening and the amount of ethical dilemmas that people were getting put in of like, Is that really the right thing? Or is that the right thing? The the dilemmas that parents got put in of, should I let my kid participate even though that's not recommended, but their friends are doing it and they're missing out and it's good for their mental health. Like I think it put these people in all of these very challenging situations where they had to make these decisions. (laughs) You know, fortunately, unfortunately, part of that, you know, I, I think I don't regret doing it. I think that there are things we could have changed, but in a world of unknown, like I'm hopeful that we got people out there Faster than they would have been doing something that there was positive for that.
0: No, I think there was, and I, and so just to, for people to know what happens next. So we basically after September of twenty, we kind of had a, like one last, I think, guidance that came out, and then it kind of was taken out of our hands, and uh, and they and they kept working. The, the overall pandemic task force brought in a few people as led by others, and and that was that was okay. And maybe this is maybe we had some influence, but you know, like our winter sports happened. So my daughter played high school basketball the whole winter. One of my favorite pictures is her playing high school basketball in a mask. So in the end, it it things worked out for the kids that in some parts of the country didn't happen. So let's ask you some other last last kind of question. They first off, thank you for that reliving that with me.
1: Yeah, of course. That's fun.
0: All right. So topics that we want you to think about and here here's no here's question one. How has the COVID pandemic changed the way you view the healthcare system and community?
1: So I mean I think it highlighted just what collaboration can be more than anything. Um, I think we sort of touched on that a little bit. I think in general, it opened a lot of doors to conversations to people that we just wouldn't have had. Because I think that especially in a city like St. Louis, that's very healthcare saturated, there's three very large health systems. In a lot of areas, there's not very much collaboration because everybody's kind of in their own silo or competitors and I think for me it really opened up the feeling of like it's not really about being competitors it's just about how do we do the right thing and and how do we be most impactful by working together is really what I saw I, I think the biggest impact we did was just be cohesive about what we were saying and and I think some of that's continued especially in sports medicine. I think it's just opened the the door to say it's okay for your competitor over there to call you and, and say, You know, what are you doing about this? Because if we can streamline overall, we're providing better care here. And it's not about you doing it over me doing it. It's just, well, how do we do it right? You know, there's enough space for everybody and let's work together for for what we're all trying to achieve ultimately.
0: That's awesome. Together go far for sure. All right. How has the COVID-19 pandemic affected you personally?
1: So I think COVID was really interesting, I think, for my family and that my husband and I have been together for over 10 years, and we've never spent that much time together as we did during COVID. Um, we both worked jobs that were gone a lot, even having kids. Like, we've never physically been together that much, even in the beginning, pre-kids. That's just kind of not the life we've lived. So I think it was a great opportunity to spend that much time together and like really see each other work because we do we we kind of although our our paths crossed somewhat professionally like you know we kind of were both very busy in our own professional ways but those are just great to be with my my kids I mean my kids were little and you know my youngest especially because he was eight months when COVID hit he really thought that it was completely normal for all of us to be home together to do everything together all of the time like because that's just genuinely all he knew and so I think that that's there were some negatives for him that he didn't really get a lot of that other social interaction I mean it's cool that he gets to have that rapport that that they got to be at such a really pivotal age to be together all the time and to be buddies together and and not be like so distracted by other things as much as like the adults were distracted like it sort of forced us to really focus on some things and you know while that was very challenging to have both of them home I wouldn't give that back. It was pretty special. And I'll never have that type of time to just be home. Like that was forced. It was, you know, a good thing for it. I think myself and a lot
0: of people. What was the most influential thing that someone has told you that helped you through the COVID-19 pandemic?
1: I think as it relates to COVID, I, I hear a statement that, I don't know that it helps through COVID, but I think it's like very realistic of COVID is that COVID just revealed a lot of the cracks that already existed is, is a phrase that I feel like I hear a lot. And I think that that's really like accurate. And I think people can take that in whatever they want, right? Like I think relationships that you had that weren't strong, it it highlighted that, right? Your relationships that were strong, it also highlighted that. The challenges that we face, it's certainly highlighted and whether we choose to overcome that or not is sort of up to us, but it just put a magnifying glass on all of it. And so I think-
0: Is there one specifically that you would highlight more than another?
1: Yes and no. I mean, I think for me, I think it just, it helps me like re-understand what I value. You know what I mean? Because I think that you sort of had to prioritize some of that. I For myself professionally, I think it was a real test for just like leadership skills. And I think it forced a lot of leadership skills that I probably wouldn't have had the opportunity or want to have the opportunity to have is probably what I would say. And I think from a leadership perspective. I had to really learn to be super transparent and open with people that I work with, people that I manage, because there was so much unknown. So I think I'm not naturally probably the most empathetic leader. I'm pretty direct. And so I think it probably caused me to think about being a more empathetic listener and sort of manager of people because of the uniqueness of just everything about that situation. So I think that that's a real positive. It sort of highlighted that like, this is like not a good situation. So you got to kind of figure it out a little bit. So I would say that's a positive that I've been able to not overcome,
0: but work on. That's great. All right, last three. These are the parting questions the listeners want to know. Where would you go if you could visit any place on earth and why? So really,
1: I've never been to Europe. I specifically would love to go to Italy and sort of see all of Italy. I'd love, like to wait, though, until my boys are older and go and, like, experience that with them. That's the place my husband and I haven't been. And we've kind of always talked about when they're, you know, middle school, high school age. They're only a year and a half apart. So Your boys' are your boys' names and ages? Danny and Connor. Danny is now five and a half. Uh, and Connor is three and a half. So preschool and pre k give me another, another, you know, decade. And, you know, we just want to be able to like go and experience that with them. I didn't really get to go to cool places, like, I mean, we did lots of fun things, but I'd love to be able to experience that with them when they're at kind of that pivotal age.
0: And what was your childhood dream job and why? Probably kind of silly,
1: but I totally wanted to be a teacher. Uh, you can ask. I'm one of four. I'm the oldest of four. Uh, and I've been bossy, you know, since birth, just to be clear. I literally like had deaths in, in my parents' basement, like trying to teach my younger siblings because I, I really wanted to be a teacher. I ended up with a master's education, so I guess that sort of came true. I realized that I'm actually not patient enough to be a teacher in all reality, so so it, it didn't totally pan out. It's totally My adult lack of patience made that not a thing. But I did. I, I 100% wanted to be a teacher. I loved it uh, until I was probably almost out of high school. I thought for sure that's what I would would do.
0: Awesome. Okay. Last final question. What is the book you are currently reading?
1: I'm currently reading The Inspirational Leader by Gifford Thomas. I'm almost done with it. It's a it's a good quick little read.
0: Why isn't it surprising to me that you would end with your reading an inspirational leader? Because there is no doubt Katie Smith was an inspirational leader throughout the pandemic, and I'm very lucky to have met you. Same to you. So Katie, thank you. Thank you for joining Capturing COVID, um, our podcast reliving the memories of COVID. You are a fantastic guest. I hope you have a great day. Same to you. Thanks for listening to this episode of Capturing COVID with our guest and my good friend Katie Smith. By the way, Katie and I have never met in person, which I failed to mention, so we're hoping to do that soon, though it's almost been three years. Now, in this episode, you know, we touched on Katie's experience as a critical, and I really felt an inspirational leader of this athletic pandemic task force, where we created guidelines for turn to sports for kids. We dealt with some politics of decisions that really opened our eyes to what for me, what politics Really can be. And then, really, doing our best to be kind of figureheads or leaders in advocating for children at a time when things were just really crazy in our community. I think it's really important to remember that this episode highlighted how one major city in the US, St. Louis, brought their major healthcare systems together to develop the St. Louis Pandemic Task Force. And that demonstrated to us on the, this athletic task force how important it was. That we all work together and work together as a team. And that was highlighted in the first episode with Luke. You know, unfortunately, this episode also gives us another lesson, which is when the team is fractured, bad things can happen. I think you see that in sports and others, that if you're not really together as a team, things don't go well. And that happened, and I'll take full responsibility. You know, that July 17, 2020 article where I really lost my mind and said things about the health department that were that shouldn't be said, really divided us. And that division led to other things in our community that should not have happened. And so togetherness, which the pandemic task force overall task force really strove for, led us to have to disband the original, the athletic pandemic task force. So I learned and hopefully I will continue to learn from that experience. Now, I do think in the end that our working together with this group really helped kids get back to playing sports, which maybe not doesn't happen. I think the health department did a great job moving forward to really see the importance of getting kids back to doing things. I think I can't forget to go back because I was really struck by the strength and perseverance that Katie exhibited as a leader throughout the pandemic. So I really want a heartfelt thank you to Katie for everything you have done to get our kids back to in-person sports. And really thanks for coming on our podcast and sharing this experience and reliving a time that was while hard I brought back some really good memories. So we have more to unpack from the pandemic and this episode is one of many. So join us in our journey to listen, relate, and reminisce on shared and differing experiences. I'm really excited about the next one. Tune in, right, for our next episode you're going to hear from a really wonderful friend of mine, Dr. Rachel Orslan who is a pediatric infectious disease physician here at Washington University, she is one of my dear, dear colleagues. I will say she's one of the many unsung heroes most of you maybe don't know about. Rachel and I are going to talk about school getting kids back to school during the COVID-19 pandemic, especially during a crazy 2020-21 school year. So again, thanks Katie for joining the podcast and a big thanks to Gabby Smith and Sheridan Thomas for producing our show and truly I'm a spaz as you guys know and they helped this sound so great. So until next time, have an awesome week.